Thank you, Lord, for the beauty of music. Thank you for the beauty of work. And Lord, in these moments now, I pray that you will fill me um, with your word, that I'll speak it well, that I can be an instrument through whom you can work and use. And that we would all be open to the things that you're teaching us in your word and then apply it to our lives in meaningful ways that truly makes a difference in this world for your glory first and foremost, but then also because of that, it's for our good. So I just give you again myself and ourselves in this time together as your church, and we thank you for all that you continue to work in and through us and all you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, work is such a huge part of our lives, and it's one of the things that we celebrate, of course, this weekend and with Labor Day coming up tomorrow, and whether it's at, working at home or in our places of employment. And as I was thinking about all of that again this year, couldn't help but be reminded of the words of Moses, great man of God, great prophet of God, and one of his most profound prayers of intercession for his people is recorded in the scriptures for us in Psalm 90. And he ends this powerful prayer for his people with these words, may the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. I mean, that is a powerful prayer for a society, for a group of people, and especially for those of us who wanna follow God and honor him with our lives. And the truth of the matter is your work is important to God because you're important to God. Learning a little bit about this and just thinking about the human body, if, if, if I read this correctly, we have 330 voluntary muscles in our bodies. Now again, voluntary, that means when you think about it, you can make them move and work. And I'm doing that, I do that a lot when I speak. I know I use my hands, people tie, they tease me and if I tied my hands, I wouldn't be able to preach. But um, right now, whether you realize it or not, you're using a lot of those muscles in your body just to sit upright in the chair and keep your balance. Uh, certainly if you get up to walk or any of that. So we're using those voluntary muscles, but that doesn't include the involuntary muscles in our body, such as our heart that is beating without us really even thinking about it or controlling it, our digestive system and all of those things. So the point is this, if God who created us, and he did, created us with 330 voluntary muscles that we can move voluntarily, and then involuntary ones that we don't even think about, the truth is God designed you and I to work. He did not design us to just sit back and do nothing. He created us to do things in this world. And when you think about it, God actually sets the example for us because God worked in the very beginning when he created this universe. Now I know the, it says he spoke the worlds into existence. That's how powerful God is. He could just speak it and it comes into being. But there's a sense whereby it involved work for God to put all of this stuff here. I just was listening this week that more and more as scientists are studying about DNA and the coding of DNA and all of these things, 
that even though there is still this popular paradigm that has been put forth for several years now about evolution and that we all got here by chance, as true, serious students of science who are continuing to learn about DNA and the coding and everything are starting to come to the realization that there's just no way that this could have happened by chance. But you're not gonna hear them admit it for a long, long time because they built an entire paradigm of saying, you know, there is no God or we're gonna explain how we got here without God. And now they're faced with a dilemma. The more they're learning and understanding and approaching it scientifically, they're beginning to come into a crisis. And I don't know when they're gonna to come to the full realization or if they ever will. But for me, it's no surprise to hear that because God has told us from the very beginning and revealed it to us that he created us. But the point is this, we know it took work for God to create all of this. And how do I know that? Because God specifically says that in six days, he created all of this, but on the seventh day, he what? He rested. Well, you don't rest if you don't work. So God set the example. He started everything with work. And then he also showed us the example of there's a time to work and there is a time to rest. But we work more than we rest. And that's what God did. He worked for those six days, rested for one day. Well, Jesus also came into the world to work. If you don't believe me, listen to his own words. It's recorded in John chapter nine, verse four. Jesus said, I must work the work of him who sent me. At feeding those who were hungry. Isn't this interesting? <laughs> and if, if anybody's online, I don't even know if we're back online yet, but like I said, I'm just gonna keep going because hopefully that's an illustration too that God's spirit doesn't quit when the technology quits, amen? We're, we're, I've always said this, we, we appreciate the technology, but the church was here long before any of this technology was here. And so we'll be just fine without it. We appreciate it. Newsflash, you can post this. Mark said the church will be fine without technology. <laughs> we'll see how often that gets retweeted and then how I'll be criticized for it. But anyway, Jesus worked at helping outcasts from society. He worked at teaching people the word of God. He put effort into it. He worked at pointing out the hypocrisy of people who claim to be religious and know God, and yet they knew nothing. Jesus also obviously worked by traveling and teaching people the way to God, but more than that, he worked and became the way to God. The scripture says this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse five, for there is one God, and one mediator between God and mankind, humanity, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter five, verses eight through 10, it says this, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were still sinners. He didn't wait for us to clean up our act or get better. He's like, you all are a mess, but I'm gonna do something about it. I'm gonna show my love for you. I'm coming, I'm coming down there. And he did, and he took on flesh and blood and he became one of us, and yet he maintained his full deity. And that's who Jesus is, fully God, fully man, God in the flesh among us. And he said, I'm gonna show my love for you. I'm gonna die for you. Jesus literally worked himself to death. Not trying to be funny, it's true. You know, you hear some people say, oh, they just worked themselves to death. Jesus literally did. He worked himself to death for you. And then he did more than that. He rose from the dead three days later to say, 
I got a plan beyond this life and even the work of this life, and it's beyond anything you can think or imagine, but you got to put your trust in me. You got to put your trust in me. So Jesus came to do a work for us and on our behalf, and that's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me or through me. It's why Jesus also spoke these words about himself that we often quote, and it's maybe one of the first Bible verses that a lot of people learn, John three sixteen, For God so what? There you go. You got it. For God so loved the world. That means you and I, the people of the world, not talking about world systems and all that evil, wicked stuff, talking about us as his people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever... That means it doesn't matter your social class, race, ethnicity, gender, any of that. Whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then Jesus went a little further and he said, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We need a savior. And until you come to recognize that and realize that, you're gonna be lost and you're gonna continue on and trying to find happiness and satisfaction in the things of this world, which is temporary and you'll get it for a while, but there's gonna come a time if you're honest with yourself that there's only so much this world has to offer and you gotta to look to something and someone beyond this world and that's Jesus. So Jesus worked for God and he worked for us and then we in return, out of gratitude and faith, should work to glorify him. And so one of the main passages I want us to think about today is found in Colossians chapter three, verse 17. And it goes uh, through uh, chapter four, verse one. So it's really not that many verses. And I'm just, so if you got your Bibles or your Bible apps, look into the word for yourself. Whatever translation you use, I think you'll be able to follow along. Colossians chapter three, verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of our Lord Jesus. Now, obviously this is written to believers in Christ, but hopefully, I mean, ultimately what God would love to see is that everybody comes to this recognition of who he is and then everything that we do in this world and in this life ultimately would be for his glory, but also for our good. But again, if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to pay attention to this. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him because Jesus came to do a work for us and to work in and through us. Now, there's two things that's mentioned in this passage. This is a reminder, and, and God makes it simple for us. He really does. We overcomplicate it sometimes. But there's two basic ways that we are a witness for Christ in the world, and it's by what you do and what you say, or in word, what you say, and in deed, what you do. And that's why I've got it underlined in this passage. And we'll come back to that in, in a few moments as it relates to our work. But now as we look at these next few verses here, I wanna set it up for you because I realize we're in a time, at least here in America today, where there is no longer slavery, although there is human trafficking. And again, I don't wanna get sidetracked on this. So slavery still exists in the world, but I'm saying as a society, many have realized the, the evils of it and, and the bad part of it. But I also wanna say this, to be, to be absolutely fair and historical, 
and actually even God allowed for slavery, but he did not allow for the mistreatment of slaves. He did not allow for all of the evil stuff that came along with slavery. God's plan of slavery was that it would be a voluntary thing by the person who didn't have the means to take care of themselves or someone they loved. And so they would talk to someone who had the means to help take care of them. And they would either temporarily or for a longer period of time willingly say, I will work for you. I will be your slave if you will provide shelter for me and for my family or whatever. And so God set up in this imperfect system, God allowed for slavery. He never allowed for it to be involuntary and for people to be mistreated and all of that. So I wanna be clear on this because some people might say, well, the Bible says it's okay to have slaves or slavery. That, if you study again, the history of this country in the civil war, actually, I don't talk a lot about American Baptists because it's about Jesus, it's not about the denomination. And I hadn't planned to say this, but I'm gonna give you a little lesson, a little history lesson here, even with Baptist denomination. So during the Civil War, there were churches in the South that had a lot of slaves and they believed in Jesus and they, and they went to church and everything, but they had plantations and all that. And so they would point to passages in the Bible that said, well, look here, the Bible says it's okay to have slaves, so we're okay. And the churches uh, up North, us Northern Baptists um, was like, eh, yeah, well, we know it says it, but still God would prefer for people to be free and God really intends for us all to be free and we need to treat people with respect. And so literally, when you study church history, a lot of church splits and denominational splits, they happen over cultural issues in the time and then how they're interpreting scripture to apply to that. We still see it today, folks, and I'm not, that's, I could get into a whole nother sidebar there. I won't. But if this makes you feel any better about being part of American Baptist, part of our heritage is when it came to the part of the civil war, we said, we believe that slavery is not something that we should fight for or work for. We should fight to free slaves. And so it, the Southern Baptist churches, no disrespect to modern day Southern Baptist churches, they, they are against slavery, all that. I'm just saying, if you study history, that's where that break first happened between Southern Baptist and Northern Baptist. And then later on, some of those Northern Baptists, because of different things that we kind of split off and ultimately there's a branch that we identify ourselves as American Baptists. Well, I say we, I identify myself as a follower of Jesus. Can I get an amen? That's, that's who I identify with. I identify with Jesus. Now I'm grateful for the denomination. I'm grateful for the opportunities I've had and I've grown through things. I don't worship the denomination and I don't serve the denomination. I serve Jesus, but I serve Jesus through the denomination as a vehicle to expand beyond the denomination to wherever and whoever I can touch for Jesus, all right? So just wanna make that clear. So if that disappoints anybody, too bad. So, <laughs> all right, moving on, moving on. So I, I'm setting all that parameter up to say, we're about ready to read a passage that deals with slaves and slavery and masters. So in wisdom, it's like, well, that doesn't exist anymore. So how can I apply it to our modern day culture that we have? Well, it's really easy. 
Don't raise your hand, but how many of you feel like a slave in the job that you do? You know, you hate your work, you hate getting up, you don't like your boss, you don't like this, that. You feel like you're enslaved to your job. Hello, scripture will apply right here. And if you're a business owner or a boss and you don't treat your employees well, you treat them like slaves or whatever, there's a word in here for you. Well, that may sound like it's calling you a name. (laughs) There's some instruction for you. So let's read it. And then as we read it, I'm gonna plug in the words. It'll be really obvious. Slaves obey your earthly masters. I'm in verse 22 of Colossians 3 in case I lost you. (laughs) Slaves obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. So employees, obey your earthly supervisors, bosses, administrators, those who are in authority over you on your job. Do what you're asked to do in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you, when they walk into your cubicle or into your section of the plant or your classroom or what, don't only do it then, but do it even when they're not around because God sees. God knows when you're loafing. He knows when you're plugging off and he knows when you're doing things rightly on your job and when you're not. And God wants you to understand that part of your witness in the world is the way that you work. And he wants you to honor him and honor others and honor those you work for or those who work for you in the right way. So now that sets it up for what he says in verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for mankind, not for people. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord you are serving. This may be a revelation for you. Because some of you feel like I am not being appreciated on my job. And many of you probably aren't. And there are things that need to be changed in a lot of our places of work. And, And there again, that's something that you need to pray about and do with wisdom. But the point is this, you need to be doing your best at that job while you're at that job, as long as God has put you in there until he opens up another opportunity for you or you get a chance for advancement. And by all means, God wants us to try to better ourselves and all that. But what I'm saying is in the meantime, you need to have the attitude, God, you know the injustices that's being done to me in my job and whatever, but Lord, I'm gonna do my best because I wanna be a good witness for you. And Lord, ultimately, I believe and know that you're gonna reward me even if they don't reward me. And I'm serious about this because if you don't have that attitude, we can get in this downward spiral of seeing everything that's wrong with work and the people around us. We go to work with a lousy attitude. We come to church and we sing the songs and we raise our hands and we say, praise God, hallelujah. And the people at church or the people that you work with are going, they're a Christian? That's sure not their attitude when they come in here. So this is serious business. We witness for Christ by the way that we work. Now it goes on and says this in verse 25, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. And see, this goes for employers and it goes for employees. It goes for business owners and those who are part of that business. God sees all all things. And there's that old saying, you know, what goes around comes around. Well, there's a lot of truth to that because again, God in his way of doing things just has a way. If you keep your eyes on him and trust him, he's not forgotten you. 
Now there's a word for the business owners or the supervisors or those in authority positions in your jobs, masters or employers. Provide your slaves, your employees, with what is right and fair. Ooh, that means you need to pay a fair wage. If they're doing a good job, you need to commend them. You need to find ways to let them advance. You need to treat them well and show respect for them. Can I get an amen? Oh, there's a few out there, so yeah. So see, I'm, I'm loading you with some scripture. You can go back to work on Tuesday. <laughs> look, look at what the pastor told us. <laughs> you need to give me a raise. <laughs> uh, but, and he would say, ah, oh, yeah, but the pastor also said, you gotta do good when I'm not watching you too. <laughs> anyway, masters provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So if you're a business owner, or a supervisor, you got a business owner in heaven, somebody that owns it all and is over all of us. So beware of that. And honor Christ in the way that you run your business or supervise or you work. People with full-time jobs spend more waking hours with their coworkers and job-related people than they do with their immediate family. Again, just looking at some statistics, on average from age 25 to 65, if you work an average of 40 hours a week, that's including two weeks of vacation each year, you will have worked over 80, or on average, 80,000 hours during that time. Now, some of you work much more, some of you work much less, but on average, that's what it would be. So again, it is important how you live, how you work, uh, what you say at work, the attitude you have in word and in deed, what is your witness like through your work because that is also a way that we worship. We worshiped God a few moments ago through some beautiful music and singing. And a lot of people just identify that as worship. But what we're doing right now hopefully for most of you and most of us here is worship right now. What we are doing is worship. Why? Because I, out of value to God and my idea of worth to God and wanting to honor him, I prayed, I read the scriptures, I prepared to bring this message, I asked God to fill me with his spirit. That is worship. And then I pray that as I deliver it, God's spirit is working through me to speak to you. And right now, hopefully, if you're listening to what I'm saying and you're thinking it through and saying, well, how does this make sense and how can I apply it to my life, whether you realize it or not, that is worship. We are actually worshiping God right now in this exercise of me speaking and you listening. And then what you do with it when you walk out these doors also is worship. Now, again, if you apply it rightly, you're worshiping. If you ignore it and can't wait to get out of here and how long is this guy going to go on, I'd say you're not worshiping right now. But God's the judge, not me. Worship is not just coming, sitting in a pew for a few, few uh, minutes or hours, enduring it, checking it off your box and going home. That's not worship. So your work is a big part of your witness for Christ. Now, when Jesus prayed for his disciples, Listen to what he prayed for them. In John chapter 17, verses 15 through 18, he says this. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. 
They are not of this world, even as I am not of it. In other words, he's saying, my followers understand that there's more to life than just this world. And so they're no longer gonna put all their energy and effort and focus into the stuff of this life. They've now lifted their eyes beyond where they're at and what they're seeing now. And they're lifting their eyes. They're seeing what's here and it's relevant, but they're even looking beyond that to see the greater picture, the big picture. They are not of this world, even as I am not of it. Does that describe you today? When you go through your work or this week, are you gonna just look at what's in front of you or are you gonna not only see that and that's fine, but are you gonna look beyond that to say, how does this, how does this uh, relate to the big picture eternally? And then he says this in verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world couple of things here. Number one, that word sanctify. It's a, it's a real religious-y sounding word. It's a word that we don't usually use in our everyday language. How many of you this week was talking to somebody and they said, well, you know, I got out my sanctified dishes because we were having guests over and I wanted to get my sanctified dishes out. And then when I got done with them, I put my sanctified dishes back up in the sanctified place. Nobody does that. But that's what sanctification means. Sanctify means you've taken something, you've given special value to it, and you use it for special occasions and special things that are really important. You've set it aside for a special function and purpose. So it's a religious sounding word, but it really has everyday application. So what Jesus said when he said, sanctify them by your truth is he's saying, these people who have heard my teaching and they believe I am the truth and they're following my word. Now I'm setting them apart from the everyday people in the world who don't, who don't believe I'm true, who don't think my word is true, but these people believe my word is true. So I'm setting them apart, God, and I'm praying for them that as they go out into the world, they're not of the world because they're living by my truth now, not the truth that the world tries to give. And so I want you to protect them and I want you to use them as they go out, sanctify them by the truth. And then he says, your word is truth. Now I wanna take a moment to talk about this because we live in a society today that asks the same question that Pilate asked to Jesus when Jesus was brought before him. And he asked the question to Jesus, what is truth? Well, it's interesting because the truth was standing right in front of him because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The truth was right there before him. The fact is Pilate just rejected the truth. I'm gonna reject the truth. I'm gonna replace it with my own. I'm gonna reject your reality and I'm gonna replace it with my reality. And we're living in a culture that does that now in relation to gender identity and all kinds of things that we deal with in our culture. I know this makes people nervous when I start talking like this, but I tell you, I've got, a, I've got a command from Jesus. What did Jesus say the truth was? God's word, the word of God. So you either believe it or you don't. You either line yourself up to God's truth or you don't, but stop playing the game and saying you can be a Christian and follow the truth of the world and reject the truth of Christ. Oh, I got a few little whispery amens. Be bold, my people. There you go. Because it's not gonna be popular and it's not right now. But you make the decision. Either Jesus is who he said he was and his word is true and he is true or he's not. And you need to adjust your life to his truth or not. But stop playing the game. 
So Jesus says, in your work, in whatever you do, I want you, God, to sanctify them, set them apart. They're special for me. So they are following me as the truth and your word is truth. So help them to stand on that truth. As you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. When Jesus came into the world and the people started accusing him and saying, you're not the son of God, did he say, oh, Oh, okay, you're right. I'm afraid people put bad things about me on Facebook, so I'll just go along. Okay, I'm not really the son of God. I, I, I'm being ridiculous, but I'm doing it for a point. He's like, no, I am the truth. You either accept it or not. And then he says, God, as you sent me in the world, and I didn't compromise, and I stood on the truth, and I gave my life for the truth, I'm sending them into the world. Oh, am I making you nervous now? Is it easy being a follower of Christ? I'll stand right here and tell you, absolutely not. It is not easy being a follower of Christ. But I'll tell you this, it's absolutely worth it. Because there is an eternal weight of glory that we cannot even imagine. But it's time to stop playing the game and it's time to wake up and focus on what the real truth is. Now, if you ever are confronted by someone that says, because we're constantly, our culture is constantly saying there's no such thing as absolute truth. It just makes me smile. Because here's the question of that. If somebody says there's no such thing as absolute truth, then just ask them, is that an absolute statement? Some of you are getting it. Because that's an absolute, as somebody that says there's no such thing as absolute truth, they're just making an absolute statement which violates the very thing they're saying. So the truth is there is absolutes. There are absolutes. There is no such thing as in absolute truth. And that's an absolute fact. <laughs> and I can hold that up logically and everything because I just told you, I said it absolutely because it's absolutely true. And if somebody says, is that, is that an absolute statement? I'd say, yes, absolutely. So there is absolute truth. And the absolute truth is Jesus Christ and the word of God, and we've got to wake up. And again, you make your decision whether you're gonna live by it or not. So if somebody tries to say, well, you live by your truth and I'll live by mine, hey, have at it. Because in the end, I know who wins and I know who's gonna determine my ultimate destiny and I'm sticking with that truth. So there's two primary ways that we witness in our work. It's by our walk and by our words. So what you do and what you say. In Ephesians chapter five, verses 15 and 16, it says this. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. I'm reading from the New King James Version just because I like to confuse you. Now, I just, I just wanna mix it up a little bit. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now, here's the thing. The original languages, the Hebrew in the Old Testament, the Greek in the New, when they're translated into English, there's always weaknesses in those translations. The original words in the Hebrew and the Greek are, are uh, authoritative. They're, um, they are inerrant, all of those things. But when you start translating them into other languages, there's weaknesses that can be there. And that's why it's so important to not only just read one translation, but to really read different ones, make sure you're discerning the truth and getting all the nuances. And this is why I chose the New King James Version for this, because I love the picture, the word picture that it gives me of how we witness in the world by our deeds or what we do. And it's, it uses the word walk. So how you walk is your lifestyle. 
It's how you live in this world. It's how you get through life. It pictures life as it is, a journey through time. And so there are times when the walk may be easy and casual. There's times when it's very strenuous. There's times when you're climbing up those mountains and crawling over rocks and you're just trying to survive. You get to the mountaintop. It's an awesome experience. You see the vistas, you see the beauty. And then before long, you slide down the mountain and you're back down in a valley. And then you gotta walk through a swamp that's full of dangers and crocodiles and alligators and snakes and everything that's trying to, to kill you and to end your life. And then you get through the swamp and you try to get dried off. That's life, it's a walk, it's a journey through time in this world. But this world isn't the end of the journey and that's why you gotta keep your perspective beyond that. And so the scripture tells us as we walk in this world, as we live, we need to do it circumspectly. Well, what does that mean? It means to be watchful, to be aware, to be aware of your surroundings. Don't just be oblivious. And so that, applying it to your work, it means pay attention to cultural things. Don't just be oblivious to it, but know how to wisely respond to it. And then it says redeeming the time. Well, the word redeem means to buy back or to exchange, to trade in or to make up for something and so to, how can you redeem time because time is, is like a stream it comes and it goes and you can't get it back but what it's saying is you got to be aware of that and make the most of every opportunity you can't do anything about your past but you can do something about the future so redeem it redeem the past by living the future differently learn from your mistakes take a different path trust Christ turn from the way you've always walked turn to Jesus let him direct you that's a way you can redeem the time so in, in the New International Version, actually, I got that up there just to, so to put it in a different, go ahead and put that up if you got the slide. The next one there, there we go. So again, another way to translate that is be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So what is your work ethic like? Uh, the, the way that you walk at work, are you dependable? Are you diligent? Uh, do the coworkers see you making an extra effort to do your job? Are you respectful to your employees or to your employers, to your supervisors and back and forth? Um, what is your work ethic like? Are you cheerful? <laughs> do you brighten the room when you walk into it or when you walk out? <laughs> I'm, I'm just being honest, I'm not gonna tell you who, but there's some people that when they show up, they just make me smile. And then there's others when they leave, they make me smile. <laughs> so you can just figure that all out. Everybody's gonna be guessing now. So I know I'm gonna stir the pot with that one. Nobody here, of course. Um, but anyway, Colossians 4, 5, again, uses this term in the New King James, this idea of, of walk, your, what's your work ethic like or, or the way that you live, what it, your attitude, all those things. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, meaning not yet believers, redeeming the time. Or again, as the New International Ver Version puts it, be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders, make the most of every opportunity. Get to know the people that you work with. Ask them questions, get to know their background, their family situation. And then in that, there could be opportunity for you to somehow share how God has helped you or Christ has helped you in your relationship and going through a struggle like that. God can use that. So be wise in the way that you interact with people that you work with. Colossians 4, 6, the very next verse now talks about the importance of your words. 
Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. That doesn't mean that you, you have an answer for everything. That's saying that you'll know how in the right way to listen to people and then to give a response that's appropriate in, in relating to them. It doesn't, and again, if, if, I'll just say this, people that act like they know all the answers and know everything, they just, they annoy me. And I know in my life, when people have asked me questions, I'll just say, hey, I don't know for sure. I can tell you what I think, or I can tell you what the scripture says here, but, or I'll say, I'll go, let me, let me pray about that, think about it, and then I'll get back with you on it. But the point is, we don't all know everything. We can't have an answer for everything, but I have a connection with someone who does. And he hasn't shown me everything yet, but I like to stay in touch with him because <laughs> sometimes he'll help me figure it out as I go along. And he knows what I need and when I need it and all of that. So I'm gonna wrap this thing up because I know we're, we're getting close to the ending of our window of time here. But I wanna make sure that I'm being faithful to, to, to share just the last part of this because I think this is really important. The Apostle Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. <clears throat> but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Now I'm gonna stop there again because I'm taking a moment today to just give you a little bit of a teaching again about translations. Translations of the Bible are important. Um, there's a lot of them out there. So how do you know what are good ones and what aren't good ones? And again, I'm not saying this to boast in any way. It's just, a, it's just a teaching point. Just so you know, I mean what I say and I'm trying to live what I preach and all these kind of things. One of the things that's helped me over these last several years is every year I, I read through the entire Bible. I do it in different ways, sometimes chronological order, sometimes front to back, all that. But one of the things that made it more enriching for me is each year I read a different translation of the Bible so that I'm also becoming familiar with the different translations and some of them are good and some of them frankly aren't as good. There's weaknesses in all of them and there's strengths in different ones of them. So here's an example in case you get confused about Bible translations because the NIV revised some things and I don't like all the revisions they've made but some of them have been good. This is one passage that I think is kind of cool where it says, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. What they did was they took the word that used to be translated into English as sanctify. So if you're reading like King James or an older English translation, it'll say, but sanctify Christ, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Again, sanctify, I just I said it kind of funny a little while ago. How many of you use the word sanctify? So there might be people today who read the scripture and they're like, sanctify, what does that mean? Well, I said it means to set apart, special, value it. Here's a good word. They took that word in the Greek that's translated usually into English as sanctify and they translate it as revere. Revere Christ in your heart. Sanctify him, set him apart, he's worthy. Give special place to him in your heart. Revere Christ in your heart as Lord. That means he's the boss. He sets the direction, not you, he's in charge. And then it says, if we do that, we need to do that in such a way that we'll always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Notice what it says. It's not saying answer every question they have about God. It's saying just be able to give an answer for yourself of why you believe. 
That's all it's saying. Know what the Bible says enough and what you understand enough to be able to explain to someone, well, here's why I have put my trust in Jesus. Here's why I need him, or here's, here's why I realize what he's done for me. And then in the course of doing that, who knows, God might touch their heart and you could say, you know what? He, he will do this for anyone. Whosoever will may come. Whoever believes in him can be saved. It doesn't matter your, your ethnicity, again, your background, your social status, any of those things. Anyone who humbles themselves and comes to Christ honoring him and humbling themselves before God and putting him above them, he will save. But look at what else it says, because this is kind of the, the sending point for us today. Keeping a clear conscience. That means you got to take this serious. You can't play the game. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. No way, there, there's no way people would speak maliciously about us as followers of Jesus, would they? Nobody would ever say anything bad about followers of Jesus. Nobody would call us homophobic or uh, narrow-minded or all of those types of terms that we hear thrown about today in the political culture that we're in and this era of uh, identity politics. No one would ever try to label us as Christians in an unkind way. I'm obviously being sarcastic. The point is, when you stand on the truth of God's word and what God says is sin and what God says is not sin in a culture that has turned the world upside down and is re-identifying everything and we are in a day of confusion, people need to know where to look to find the truth. And if we as Christians don't do what I just shared a moment ago, to know where the truth is, who the truth is, and where to find it, then we're in big trouble. Because if we don't do it, who will? So it's, it behooves us as followers of Jesus to hold to the truth. Now, this is, this is the practicality of it. We got to keep a clear conscience. We don't hate anyone. We do not hate anyone. Our vision statement here at Porterfield is we love everybody, but we're gonna love you enough to speak the truth and we want to lead you to Jesus that you might listen to him and let Jesus change your life. We're not here to change your life. Jesus is the life changer. We've experienced that life change as we've humbled ourselves and submitted ourselves to him and follow him. And we love you enough that we wanna share that. And if you don't want it, hey, that's fine. We love you enough, you can walk away. We're not gonna force you to stay and we're not gonna force you to come, but we will love you wherever you're at in whatever circumstance, right where you're at, we love you. But we just want you to know that we're gonna love you enough that we're gonna point you to Jesus. We wanna lead you to him because he is the life changer. So we gotta keep a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ, remember, it's not our behavior on our own, it's we're following what Christ has told us to do. We're standing on his word, we're teaching his word, we're trying to be compassionate and loving and help the poor and, and help people that are struggling with all kinds of things in life because we love people, but we're still gonna hold to the truth. And if the Bible says something is sin, then it's sin. If the Bible says something is wrong, it's wrong. And we're not gonna re-identify it. We either accept it and believe it and humble ourselves under it, or we don't. So we need to keep a clear conscience so that those who speak against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now, maybe they will be ashamed or maybe they won't, but we need to have the attitude that we're gonna do the right thing and we're gonna honor Christ. Now, this is, this is the clincher. 
I've got it bolded. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing what? If you're going to suffer, it's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So you better make up your mind where the truth is, who the truth is, stand on that truth, live it out in your own life. And if you suffer while you do it, it's better to do that than to suffer because you've gotten into some bad behavior, evil behavior, what the culture says is whatever, and you just go with the flow. Because trust me, everybody's going to suffer. Hate to, hate to burst your bubble on this great cheery Sunday morning, but we're all going to suffer at some point in life. So you need to make the choice, am I, when I suffer, am I going to suffer and do good through it and continue to trust God through it? Or am I just going to throw in the towel and say, well, whatever then. If I'm going to suffer, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. God says it's better to keep your eyes on him and to trust him. The good person brings good things out of the good stored up in their heart, and the evil person brings evil things out of the evil stored up in their heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Those are the words of Jesus. So my question for you is, what are you filling your mind and your heart with? Because it does matter. Because what you fill your mind and your heart with, eventually, it's going to overflow. So on your job, in your home, what are you filling your mind and your heart with? So I'm going to close with this. Just fast forward to the last slide. This is kind of, again, the thought for today. Because we're going to go back to our homes, we're going to go back to our jobs or whatever we do, our communities, the things, just the work that we do, the work of our hands. It goes back to goes back to what Moses prayed for his people. Lord, establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Well, God will do that if we honor him with the work of our hands. So what are you giving your life to? Well, the writer of Colossians says this, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord and not just for people. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it's the Lord Christ that you are serving. So as we celebrate this Labor Day, and whether you work tomorrow or you got tomorrow off or whatever, I hope you'll think on these things, the importance of your work, because your work does matter to God and what you do. What you do, what you say, those are the ways we witness in the world. And uh, God wants you to do it well. There was a... Um, a group of archaeologists that <clears throat> were, were doing a dig. And as they were digging, they found what was remaining of a Babylonian temple. And it was interesting because as they dug it up, every brick that had been made that was used to build this temple in Babylon at that particular period in history, every single brick had the name of the king of Babylon who was reigning at that time on the brick. Every time those workers took that brick, and I'm sure they were slaves and all of that, but they, they were made to think of who the king was as they were building the temple. And really, I think that's a, a good way to end this today, an illustration, because every day that you wake up, you should have the name of Jesus inscribed in your mind and in your heart, because that day is a building block for his kingdom. 
So when you wake up tomorrow, is, that, is, is Christ's name going to be inscribed on that brick? Are you going to be looking to honor him and to do your work well for him and for his glory? Or are you going to have your name on it or somebody else's name? Would you stand? Heavenly Father, thank you for um, the opportunity to worship you today, not only through the music, but through the message. Thank you for um, this church, your church, Lord. Continue to help us as we look with wisdom to the future. Help us to honor you with our walk, with our words, with our work, and all of that. And Lord, today, if there's anyone who's listened to this message and somehow you've used it to help them realize they've kind of been playing a game or they've not been open to you, I pray in these moments now, they'll just open their life to you and simply invite you to come into their life asking you for forgiveness and literally coming to that heart change that they're gonna put you in charge and they'll humble themselves under your hand and your truth because you are the way, the truth, and the life and help them to understand that through trusting you, they have a home in heaven and they're reconciled with you, God. So help them right now to pray that prayer in whatever way your spirit leads them and they feel led. And then help all of us who have prayed that prayer to make decisions each day of how we're gonna work for your kingdom and honor you in all that we do and say in Jesus' name, amen.